So a big motto of mine is there's two ways to be rich. You know, you can accrue more stuff or you can want less stuff. We're very much on the want less stuff path. Hey everyone, welcome to Modern Life from Fidelity Investments. This is me, your host, Jamila Souffrant. Today, we're talking homes. For some, the classic version of the American dream is still having a single family home with a white picket fence. But in the 21st century, many people are also starting to push the boundaries of what home can be and look like. Macy Miller is a trained architect who once had a traditional home of her own. But after losing her job in the Great Recession, she was forced to downsize. She's since become an advocate for the growing tiny home movement. In 2011, she designed and built her own 196 square foot tiny house, a house that cost her under $12,000 to build. The house was so well designed that it was profiled in publications like Time Magazine. Today, she runs the Facebook group, Tiny House People, and the educational blog, Mini Motives. She's here to talk to us about how she approaches the idea of home, the financial strategies that she uses to give herself a life of independence, and what you can take away in your own journey. Macy Miller, I'm so excited to be talking to you today on this episode of Modern Life About Home. I'm excited to tell you guys about my take. I want to like go back. Before you got into the tiny home movement, you were an architect. And I want to learn more about that life and how you got into that. Did you always know you wanted to be an architect? You know, I decided I wanted to be an architect in fourth grade. And I remember, this is very strange because not a lot of fourth graders pick their career path. I worked in Boise, Idaho, which that boils down to doing a lot of strip malls, unfortunately. It wasn't quite the career path that I thought it would be. I graduated at 22 years old. I had a master's degree. I was working at an awesome job in my field. I bought a house. I bought a car. I married a guy. And then overnight, that changed. That guy turned out to not be my guy. The recession hit and my house, I was not able to get it out of his name and into mine. So it ended up foreclosing ultimately. And then I got laid off as jobs left, you know, because in 2008, architectures hit really early. People start saving money and they stop building buildings. But it was a very scary place to be. I didn't like it. You know, I, I feel like I was sold this American dream. I achieved it. And I didn't even really like it that much when I was in it. And so the tiny house for me was a way to buy myself time. And I didn't know what that dream should look like, but I needed a place to shelter and to figure it out. And so I took one year's worth of rent payments. I built my tiny house. That was 10 years ago. So I learned some things along the way and maybe it's not quite so... Uh, so hard to live in a small space. So did you know about tiny homes while you were working as an architect? No, definitely not. I was into sustainability. Every architecture job I've had, I was their sustainable guru. And it's well known that the, uh, the best thing you can do to be sustainable is lessen your impact, which directly relates to making your space smaller. You know, that was kind of what I did in my job. And so I really looked at like, what do I need to exist as a person? I like to eat. Sometimes I have to go to the bathroom or take a shower and I need a place to sleep. And so I designed a house that had those things and it just gave a lot of confidence. And that was all I needed to keep going down the path. And you ended up building your first tiny home for under $12,000. How did you do that? Well, it's uh, mostly recycled materials. Um, so I worked in the construction industry and I knew the contractors. 
So I called them up and I said, hey, can I come take that stuff off your hands? And most of them said, yes, we would love that. Then we don't have to pay to restock it, you know? It was mutually beneficial. So a lot of the, the hard building costs were very cheap, nearly free. Um, through that. And then like the entire outside of my tiny house is done with recycled shipping containers. So I took 83 shipping containers apart and I got the wood and it's, it's a lot of time and energy that goes into reclaiming a material, but it was worth it. And I made it a priority to spend my time rehabbing the materials that are already out there existing in the world rather than getting new raw materials. Can you explain the evolution of the original tiny home? Yeah, so I built the tiny house when I was single lady. And then I met James along the process. I was mostly done building when I met him. I never intended to live in this tiny house with two people, but I kind of designed it with extra storage space just in case, because you never know, you know. Never expected to have children in this house. And so we had my daughter, Hazel, seven years ago. She's seven. And... The house was fine. It worked as it was. But then when we were getting ready to have our son, I was like, I need two nap areas because it's a juggle. You know, they nap at different times. So we enclosed the back patio and made it into the kids' room. But later, we built another micro house that's totally separate from the tiny house, but 84 square feet. And then we went on a national park road trip with our kids and our dog around the country and that for 13 months. We've been in a few different homemade micro spaces. Yeah, and I would love for you to describe for our listeners what your home looks like as much as you can because it's beautiful. You know, it's just, it's a very basic structure. It's got a shed roof down one side and I kept it basic with materials. It's like I mentioned, reclaimed uh, shipping pallets on the outside, so it's a wooden exterior. It's kind of funny. when I decided to go in a tiny house, it meant that I decided that this portion of my life was not as important as other portions. And never in my life did I think anyone would want to come like visit my tiny house or see what it looks like because I basically stated out loud, my house is not my priority. And now it's all anyone wants to talk about. <laughs> so, And you have all the living spaces of, of a typical living area, like a house, right? So you have a kitchen. I would love for you to just explain because some people, when they think of tiny homes, they're not thinking that it will have every area that they'd need. I've got a 10-foot galley kitchen, which is actually far more efficient than any apartment I've rented. And we've got an oversized shower. It's like a three foot by four foot shower, uh, on-demand hot water heater. Um, the kids' room has bunk beds. And then our sleeping loft is kind of behind the living area, which is where I'm sitting right now. It's just, it's all the same things, just a little smaller. Well, what's your favorite room in the house? The house is basically a room. So <laughs> this house is smaller than most people's master bathrooms. Um, I'm fully aware of that. So it's I mean, it all works together. It's, it's not meant to have separate spaces necessarily. At the end of the day, when I've worked hard, my favorite room is the bed. <laughs> and when I have to go to the bathroom, it's the bathroom. Can you talk about the price range for people who are interested in learning more? Definitely. My price is an outlayer. Uh, my house is extremely cheap, and part of it is because I did all of the labor myself. But even if I was to go to Lowe's and buy the materials to build my house, it would be around $30,000. The standard tiny house, they used to be more in the 16 to 18 foot range. My house is, is 29 feet, which was a giant at the time. <laughs> if you're going to do the labor yourself, around dollars $35,000 um, for a house my size. If you go through a builder, you can get one about half my size 
for thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars, and then it goes up from there. There's plenty of tiny houses that are over a hundred thousand dollars. There's a lot of hidden costs too. If you're building your tiny house, you know you need you need a place to build it, and sometimes people don't consider that might mean renting a shop somewhere, or maybe you have a friend with a backyard or something. But there is a lot of hidden costs that kind of hide out there too. And what about just the people in your life, right? How did your family and friends react? while you went and embarked on this mission to build a tiny home and are now living in it? For some people, they think me making this choice is me criticizing their choices. And it's not that way at all. I am totally happy for you if you're totally happy. And if you're not, I want to encourage you to get that way. But I never push myself on anyone. And I'm happy for other people who choose different paths so long as they're happy. It's not just tiny home that you're living in. It's more of, too, that you have been living off the grid, which I was so excited to talk to you about because I want to explore more what that means. Like, what does it mean to live off the grid? It means that we're responsible for our own selves. We use power, we generate that power on site. We use water, we collect that water on site. We collect rainwater from the roof into buckets, which then we can filter and put in another bucket. And then we filter it again and we move it up to the tiny house and we store a thousand gallons of water next to the tiny house we built a shed we're not hooked up to anyone's grid we do have a cell phone because we do still have to work i think everybody has this little spark in them that says that they don't want to be dependent on other people and so i just followed that spark a little bit further (laughs) yeah i mean and it all lends into this idea of financial independence and you having the freedom to choose if you work or not and so i kind of want to get into your expenses and overall lifestyle because a lot of people are working to help fund their expenses and then the expenses can you know it's like a cycle that can't be stopped and so I'd love to kind of hear what your expenses are just so someone listening can see what could be accomplished like by cutting back and having less. So a big motto of mine is there's two ways to be rich you know you can accrue more stuff or you can want less stuff. We're very much on the want less stuff path. A lot of our day is finding contentment in what we have. We like to sit on our patio and watch the sunset, which is pretty beautiful here. And so we change the perspective in our head. And my life is 180 degrees from where it was when I was working in architecture in the city. And every evening filled up, you know, the calendar was penciled out a month in advance. We don't have that anymore. We don't make as much money, but we don't need as much money. I don't have expenses to speak of. I have health insurance. That's my only monthly bill right now and my cell phone. So I pay $330 a month to exist in this world. I have no mortgage. We live tiny for enough years that I was able to save money from working to buy this piece of property with cash on hand. But we don't have expenses like most people have. So we don't have to make money like most people do. We can easily live on $1,000 a month. I don't look at somebody with a fancy car or a big house and think, man, they have it together. I think, oh, I hope they're not in too much debt, you know, because that's a pitiful spot to be. I've been in too much debt and it's, it's suffocating and it's not worth a fancy car. It's, it's just not to me, but that's how I feel about it. It's okay. Somebody else feels differently, but you don't have to play that game. Okay, I have to ask this because I'm hearing you talk and I'm like, wow, like, that sounds so nice. But then I'm like, but I feel like I'd be bored. You probably would be. I I mean, it is. I'm very easily amused. (laughs) I think that's a good skill. (laughs) 
Modern Life aims to give you the life and money knowledge you need so you can live the life you want. As part of our mission, we're proud to work with Year Up, an organization leading the movement to close the opportunity divide by ensuring that young adults gain the skills to reach their potential through careers and higher education. During the Year Up program, students participate in hands-on technical training in fields like information technology, business operations, customer support, and software development, paired with professional skills like networking, negotiating, and public speaking. Fidelity works with Year Up hosting interns to provide hands-on work experience and the opportunity for full-time employment. As part of its work with Year Up, Fidelity has contributed a one-time grant to Year Up's efforts. In honor of Modern Life, Fidelity has also committed to matching 100% of listener contributions. I want to encourage the Modern Life community to join the movement by visiting donate.yearup.org slash modernlife to learn more about Year Up's mission and contribute to their work. I feel like I know the answer to this already, but I have to ask, are you happier now with this simpler life and less versus the bigger house and the job that you had before? No question. You know, I, I was proud of myself to get through college. I got through college with no debt because I worked through college and that felt like a really big accomplishment. I was really proud of my job. Like there was plenty of potential to keep working towards, but it required only me. And it starts to feel lonely down that path really quick. And so when I had my daughter, I made the conscious choice to just, I'm going to give them the first five years of their lives, which we're at now. They're the youngest is five. Um, but I did that consciously because I think that's critical for them. But also I wanted to see where my head went and I don't think I could go back. I just, this is just too much fun. Yeah. And I mean, it, people are rethinking their lives right now. And, you know, with the pandemic, some people maybe may have decided they want more space because they were forced to be home. And some people don't want to have to work to live their life and they want to downsize. And so what would you say, what other uh, wisdom if they are even looking to say, you know what, now I want to try a tiny house or I want to try van life. What's like that next step they should take after listening to this? You just do it and then and then you adjust as you go. And so you can just try it and it doesn't have to be forever. It could just be a stepping stone to get you clarity in your head. You may do it and decide that it is terrible and it is not for you and that's okay. Stop doing it. But if you're interested, then make a move. I think over the last 10 years, I've seen the climate change around it. I think the pandemic has actually helped that quite a lot. I mean, look at what happened in the last year. There's a lot of traveling professionals now. There's traveling nurses, traveling contractors, you know, who are stationed somewhere for three to six months a year. And then they have to move. And what a great thing to not have to set up a house in your new home base. You know, you just hitch up and you roll on. A lot of people have struggled and they see potential now. And now we have tiny house TV shows and we have, you know, so much out there that the social proof is there. Um, and so now I, I think we're going to start seeing more and more change. So for the people who are living in high cost of area places, New York City, San Francisco, it costs thousands of dollars to live for rent or mortgage. What do you say to them? Because some of them, they they don't want to pay that, but they don't know another way or they're afraid to make a change. And they're listening to this saying, wait a second, but maybe this is something I can do. So what would you further say to them to encourage them to, to reimagine what their life could be? Well, I, I mean, it all goes back to, are you happy? Like, and if you're not, you should change it. 
there's a lot of benefits to living in an urban area in a city with a lively atmosphere that is worth money and you cannot recreate that out in the sticks where land is cheap by the way but if that's what makes you happy it's okay for that to be this stage of your life if it starts to make you unhappy and you start to begrudge having a large rent payment mortgage payment whatever it may be think about your exit strategy so follow your happy and that's going to be different for you than other people so just follow it so we know you're an advocate of tiny home living and living off the grid and being more self-sufficient but for some people listening that may not be a reality or something they can pursue so in your opinion who is this lifestyle for and who is it not for the tiny house part is for anybody, but it's not for everybody. You know, anybody can do this at any stage of their lives, but not everybody will want to. And that's totally fine. The off-grid part, I think, is a whole other ballgame. I think that we ought to all be starting to get concerned about our consumption in all of the realms. Water, power. I mean, this comes from me living out west. We have outrageous fires that just annihilate cities. And a lot of that stuff is not going to be controlled, but it's going to happen. And you need to know how to get yourself back up. You need to know what you need for power. And so this is a real problem that is going to be a part of our future, especially out West. I, I think people should be thinking about how much stuff they use because it's, it's not endless. What would be your tips for someone who's listening? Maybe they're 32 years old and they are ready to buy their first home. Maybe it's a tiny home, maybe it's a average regular home. What should be the first things they think about and do as it pertains to being able to afford it and move forward? I didn't know there was other paths to take, you know, and I don't, I don't think you're shown a lot of different options when you're young. And I think the most important thing to do would be to ask yourself what you want from life. What's, what's the hard lines? To remember that a house is a tool that enables a lifestyle. And, and the decision you make will impact your life going forward, for better or for worse. And there's different options than the standard house. Even if they're more tricky sometimes, even outside of a tiny house, there's other options that allow you to live a fulfilling, wonderful life right now without signing up for a giant mortgage, if that's not your bag. I love it. All right, Macy, thank you so much for sharing more of your lifestyle. And I'm sure a lot of more people will be now Googling tiny homes and figuring out what they could do to maybe have a more simpler and happy life. I really appreciate you guys having me on this new exciting podcast. Before we conclude, we're going to hear from Courtney Mays, who's a regional consultant and financial educator at Fidelity. She will give you a few tips about what you should think about as you decide to buy or build a home of your own. Thanks so much, Jamila. Whether you're hoping to buy a tiny house, a big house, or something in between, we here at Fidelity have a few tips to consider. Number one, ask yourself the question, how much house can I really afford? There are two numbers to consider. One is the purchase price of the home, and the second is how it will impact your monthly income. For the purchase price, the rule of thumb is spending somewhere between three to five times your annual household income. How much of your monthly income do you realistically feel comfortable devoting to your new place? A rule of thumb is to keep it to 30% or less. 
make sure you factor in all of the different expenses, your mortgage, taxes, homeowners insurance, maintenance, and money for unexpected repairs. Number two, get your finances in order. Know your credit score and learn what you need to do to keep it high. If you're buying with a significant other, make sure they do the same. Figure out how much you have for a down payment and what kind of mortgages are open to you. Getting pre-approved for a mortgage is a great way to help you understand your options. And finally, make sure it makes sense to buy. There are many transaction costs associated with buying and selling a home, so you probably want to own for at least three years for buying to make financial sense. There are also huge emotional implications that come along with buying, owning, and selling property. Make sure you're ready and that this purchase makes sense for you. For more tips and resources for your money and beyond, head on over to the Modern Life website at fidelity.com forward slash modern life and make sure to sign up for our newsletter for stories, tips, and resources delivered to your inbox every week. And that's our show this week. Thanks for joining us. Check out the show notes for the link to our website and to sign up for our newsletter. And make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button to keep the show in your feed every week. Modern Life is hosted by Jamila Soufran. Executive producers are Caitlin Durkin, Jake Horowitz, Josh Sr., and Evan Wolf Foxbum. We are produced by Noam Osman and Zoe Pressy. Modern Life is written by Elizabeth Leary, Ann Dowd, and Courtney Mays, and edited by Noam Osmond. Our contributing editors are Rita Flannery and Mindy Hines. Our post producer is Sydney Charvat. Modern Life was recorded and filmed at the Bridge Studio in Brooklyn, New York. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as investment or tax advice. Views and opinions of the individuals noted are expressed as of the date of the recording and do not necessarily represent the views of Fidelity Investments. Any such views are subject to change at any time based on market or other conditions. Fidelity Investments disclaims any liability for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information in this podcast. Consult your tax or financial advisor for more information concerning your specific situation. Fidelity does not provide legal or tax advice and the information provided is general in nature and should not be considered legal or tax advice. Jamila Soufran is not employed by Fidelity Investments but does receive compensation for her services. This podcast is intended for U.S. persons only and is not a solicitation for any Fidelity product or service. The third-party trademarks and service marks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. Many motives and Fidelity Investments are independent entities and are not legally affiliated. Gear Up and Fidelity Investments are independent entities and are not legally affiliated. This podcast is provided for your personal and non-commercial use and is the copyrighted work of FMR LLC. You may not reproduce this podcast in whole or in part in any form without the permission of FMR LLC. The trademarks and service marks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. Fidelity Brokerage Services Member, LLC, NYSE, SIPC, 900 Salem Street, Smithfield, Rhode Island, 02917. Copyright 2021, FMR LLC, all rights reserved.